This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, February 10th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. Is the United States headed inevitably toward a trade war with China? Perhaps so, and it might be because so much of the control of trade has been foolishly delegated to the White House. Dan Eikenson, director of Cato Institute's Trade Policy Studies, comments. For the purposes of understanding sort of where we are now with respect to China, what has the U.S.-China relationship looked like with respect to trade for the past 20, 30 years? Yeah, I'd say since 1989, in the wake of the Tiananmen Square massacre, the, the George H.W. Bush administration deliberated about what to do about China, and there, was, there were calls for trying to isolate them, contain them and other calls for engagement, and, and the latter prevailed. And uh, the Bush administration decided that uh, if we opened up to China, if we uh, engaged them, they would become more like us, their economy would grow, uh, civil and political liberties would follow the economic liberties, and uh, the world would be better off. It was also strategically a concern that uh, if the United States were to impose sanctions, that they would be ceding the field to Germans and French and, and other companies from other countries. So there was a, a, a practical reason to, to, to stay engaged. And for 20 years, from 1989 until 2009, the relationship worked pretty well. I mean, there were lots of frictions, of course, as uh, the United States accommodated China's rise. But U.S. policy was the balance of two interests, basically. You had the um, import competing industries and unions on one side, clamoring for protection, uh, clamoring to keep China's pace of growth limited. And on the other side was the U.S. multinational community. Uh, they were invested in China, and they wanted to sell in the Chinese market, and they wanted the, to avoid uh, provocations that would jeopardize their access to the U.S. market, and, and po I'm sorry, to the Chinese market. And policy was uh, kind of split the difference. And uh, U.S. industries would have recourse to trade remedies actions, to special safeguards laws. The U.S. government would be able to bring cases against China to the WTO. Uh, and by and large, you know, it worked. There were frictions. Um, but in 2009, I think it really started to change after the, uh, the Great Recession hit. Uh, there were these perceptions among policymakers and pundits that, uh, uh, you know, the United States was in a deep recession, you know, slow growth, contraction, slow growth, high unemployment by U.S. standards. The government was heavily in debt. A lot of that debt was owned by the Chinese government. And there, there was China still growing at double-digit rates, doing well. And there was a lot of hand-wringing, you know, what, what did we do wrong? Where did we go wrong? What has China done right? What should we emulate? And I remember Thomas Friedman at the time had a piece and he was just uh, cooing over the success that China had had, you know, preparing for the Olympics. And, wow, they can get anything done whenever they want. And he talked about their enlightened autocracy. Uh, so there were Americans who, who wanted to emulate some Chinese policies. And we did a, a embrace some industrial policy. But we got tougher on China. We brought more cases under the Obama administration. But industrial policy, broadly speaking, would be choosing winners and losers in industries and deciding from the top down as a matter of federal policy which uh, industries the, the, the economy is going to focus on and invest in. 
Right. So we saw a lot of uh, incentives to invest in solar panels and wind energy. And I remember Bill Clinton uh, going around the country and saying things like, well, Europe is dumping all this money into Airbus as, a, some, as something worthy of emulating. Yes. Well, so, I mean, we did uh, for a while think that there were some Chinese policies that we could emulate. I mean, I think, you know, we are at the technological fore as an economy. We really have nothing to learn from China. We, were, we had lost our mojo at the time. Uh, but, but from 2009 on, for the past eight years, uh, the tenor has been a bit different. Um, the U.S. multinational community, which was, were, it was they were strong advocates for uh, engagement, uh, feel that they've been mistreated. There were some Chinese policies that were adopted, uh, technology transfer requirements, indigenous innovation policies, and more recently uh, cybersecurity laws and uh, um, anti-monopoly laws that they feel have been implemented in a discriminatory way. And I think that they've lost the verve, the interest that they had in advocating for openness because they, they're, they've become more pessimistic about the future of China. And, and that has uh, implications for p policy going forward because if policy is going to be a balance between those seeking protection and those seeking engagement, and those seeking engagement are less enthusiastic than they were, uh, it makes it a lot easier to uh, indulge the, the, the protectionist uh, tack. And uh, that, that's what we've seen. This is all happening before Trump comes on the scene, and now we have Donald Trump. All right. So a part of that uh, uh, lack of appreciation for the value of engagement has been driven by some information of some data about how the United States has fared with respect to uh, its specifically its trading relationship with China. Yeah. Um, so. You know, there, there, there were frictions that have, were generally managed pretty well. And even during the Obama administration, uh, some things, some, some policies were enacted uh, unprecedented, uh, making the U.S. countervailing duty law uh, available to U.S. industries. It, it, it had never been available in cases involving so-called non-market economies in the past. Obama brought uh, cases on t a case on t against tires. There were more anti-dumping and countervailing duty measures initiated under this administration than any previous administration. Many, uh, the number of WTO cases increased uh, by fivefold. So uh, now we have a situation where um, Donald Trump comes in. He's an economic nationalist. He has a view that uh, um, because China has a trade surplus with the United States, it has more to lose from a trade war. Uh, he he he's, seems enthusiastic about um, um, forcing the, the Chinese back to the table or to the table in the first place uh, by, uh, by, by shutting the market off to Chinese imports as though it weren't going to have a negative impact on Americans. And my, my concern is that the Chinese government is saying, bring it. Uh, President Xi has his own problems in China. China's experiencing its slowest growth in 25 years about 6.5 percent, something something that we would love to have here. Uh, there's a lot of complaint about environmental conditions, about stagnant wages, about property takings, things like that. Um, so for, for Xi to be able to distract the Chinese population by blaming woes on the United States and on a trade war, uh, I, I think he could get a lot of mileage out of that. I think you'll see people rallying around him, particularly at a time when Trump is stepping on our allies' toes and, and alienating 
uh, Australia and other countries in the region, uh, that will uh, make it easier for the Chinese to to endure a trade war, and that's going to be uh, have very very devastating impacts. And uh, there's no evidence that, of course, China and even some close U.S. allies aren't going to be working to expand and solidify their own trading relationships. I mean, 6.5 percent growth is like is is amazing if you if you don't put it in the context of the slowest growth in 25 years. There, it just seems like. Uh, perhaps uh, the president and some of his trade people are viewing our relationship with China as we can pun it, we can effectively punish them, which just doesn't seems like a non-starter on its face. Well, the, to, to most of us, uh, yes, we, we would agree with that. This administration, uh, the, the 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 people that Trump has appointed, people like Peter Navarro and. Wilbur Ross um, view trade as a zero-sum game, and um, their their objective seems to be to either negotiate new trade agreements or renegotiate old ones, so that the result is trade balance or a trade surplus for the United States. If we have a trade deficit with any country, that means that that country is is cheating or it's not fulfilling its its obligations, uh, and therefore they have more to lose and they're more inclined to blink first. Uh, it, there seems to be very little regard for the massive uh, collateral damage that, that that's going to cause. So that that concerns me. And uh, President Trump has talked about imposing a 45 percent across the board tariff on imports from China to compensate for their alleged currency manipulation. Well, currency manipulation hasn't been going on in China for over a decade. I mean, they're struggling to keep the value of the RMB propped up because there's massive capital flight right now. Uh, and so, uh, th but there are plenty of statutes, and we've talked about this, Caleb, uh, where the president has um, some authority to unilaterally impose duties invoking national security concerns, maybe the loss of manufacturing jobs, for example. Uh, going, and, going back 80 years. Yeah. It started back, back in, in approximately in the 30s. But going back 80 years, from the Roosevelt administration until the, through the Obama administration, presidents, regardless of party, have been pro-trade. They've never used uh, the prospect of a trade war as something to tout. Um, but this administration is uh, uh, seems willing to, to, you know, to play a game of chicken, and uh, that's something we should all be really concerned about. Dan Eikenson directs the Herbert A. Stiefel Center for Trade Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate this podcast at iTunes and Google Play. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.